0: Right, welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Another edition, another game preview edition as East Carolina gets prepared to host Charleston Southern, the first ever meeting between the two programs. Of course, I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. As always, we'll be previewing the upcoming matchup between the Buccaneers and the Pirates. It'll be the first ever matchup on the football field. For these two programs and we'll have a ton of questions to get to on the hoist colors message board as well got a lot of uh, interesting questions heading into a game like this coming off the Marshall win which we are still recapping on the site along with looking ahead to Charleston Southern Uh, so you know interesting matchup in terms of when an FCS team comes to play an FBS team in some ways it's hard to really know what to expect of course, the FBS team East Carolina in this case is going to be favored. I still have not seen a line on this game as we record this at Thursday at 11 a.m. So not sure <laughs> if that'll be out prior to kickoff or what. But you know, I would say if a line came out, it would at least be in the mid 20s to upper 20s in terms of ECU being a favorite to win by three to four touchdown. Charleston Southern, for those unfamiliar, is a solid FCS program. You know, they're not a program right now that would be classified as a a, a top ranked or a top top tier FCS program back when Jamie Chadwell was there and ironically when Mike Houston was at the Citadel, it was a, a very, very good program, very solid. And those two teams had quite the uh quite the rivalry, quite the matchup. And I think since Chadwell has left the program has not been quite as consistent. Uh they do have some they they, they do have some interesting players, which we'll get into they're, they're an older team for the most part. They've got an experienced quarterback, a third-year starter. So uh, he's played in FBS games before. It was in 2019 they played at South Carolina. I think they lost the game 72-10. to So um, not the best experience for them there. But overall, it, it, this isn't a case where East Carolina can show up on Saturday and just roll the ball out and expect to win by multiple touchdowns. They're still going to have to go out, execute, play well in every phase. Because Charleston Southern is good enough to hang around in this game, and if you let a team like them hang around and get into the second half with it being a football game, then as the favorite, you start to press. The other team starts to gain confidence. So I think it is important for East Carolina to come out, put his foot down, establish early that uh, they're the better football team. Uh, We'll see how it goes on Saturday. Um, But, you know, just looking at ECU coming off the Marshall win, I think the biggest challenge heading into this game is – For a team that's not used to winning, especially in that fashion, how quickly, mentally, can you put that game behind you and focus on the next opponent? And listen, I know that the coaches and the players are going to say all the right things. Hey, we move on for 24 hours, all that stuff. We respect our opponent. We treat Charleston Southern like any other team. The reality is they can say all that, but each individual has to have that mindset, and it's only human nature for them not to have that mindset and circumstance, situation, especially with such a young football team, so we'll know early on Saturday with the intent, the way ECU plays, how they have approached this game, how they have approached this week of practice. I'm sure the coaches are drilling in their head, you can't take any anybody, anybody for granted, and for ECU, which has lost to a pair of FCS teams in recent memory. James Madison in 2017 in a game that wasn't even a game. It was a bloodbath as James Madison, coached by Mike Houston came to town and just ran through ECU. And then in 2018, arguably the lowest point in ECU football history when they lost to North Carolina A&T on that Sunday. Those two games stick with Pirate fans quite, quite, uh, quite vividly. I don't know, you know, the rest of this roster, most of those guys were not on those teams, but they should be able to look at the history and the lack of wins over the last three to four years and be plenty motivated by that. This is a chance on Saturday to get a win and get to 2-2 two and two and set up a huge conference opener against Tulane. And if you get to 2-2, two and two, you have another two-game winning streak, similar to last year when they closed the year with wins over Temple and SMU all of a sudden you kind of feel that momentum building and maybe you have a bigger crowd versus Tulane and if you if you stub your toe this week you don't play well even if it's a close game but certainly if you lose you're going to lose a lot of that momentum all of that momentum uh, against from the win over Marshall so Pirates can't afford to let down this week I think this does present a good opportunity to hopefully get some some more guys some playing time hopefully rest some guys that have been banged up continue to work out some kinks We've got a lot of questions about players I would like to see in terms of, hey, who do you want to see this weekend that might not play in a normal game, all that sort of stuff. We'll get into that. So Charleston Southern ECU, Saturday at 6 p.m., good kickoff time, lots of tailgating opportunities for you guys. Uh, check us out, as always, on the Pirate Radio pregame show. I'll be up there from 4 to 5 before heading over to the stadium. Um and so I'm, I'm hoping as the year goes on I can stop by some of you guys' tailgates so if we can work that out let me know hit me up on hoistacolors.net in the private message section and I'll uh, do my best to stop by and see some of you guys and say hey and thanks for all the, uh, the support over the years also an interesting note is somebody on Hoistacolors I believe his name is Sam Weeks started a GoFundMe campaign about the indoor practice facility and the need for one and i believe it's already raised between two and three thousand dollars and i get it you know an indoor practice is going to cost 15 to 20 million just to have a pretty nice one so this is just a drop in the bucket but i you know the fact that you just started an unofficial gofundme page and it automatically or quickly has nearly three thousand dollars in the span of you know 12 to 16 hours i think speaks to the the want for people to give to a cause you know, I have heard for a while now, and all, and all this came up. I should preface this on Wednesday. The forecast was terrible. Lightning was in the forecast, all that sort of stuff, and it like UCU is going to lose a potential game week practice. And people can say, "Oh, well, how many times does it really lightning a year? How many practices do they really lose a year?" You know, in reality, usually one or two, but that's one or two too many. I mean, you cannot lose game week practices in season you're at a huge disadvantage compared to your opponent because basically almost everybody ECU plays these days has an indoor practice facility. If they have severe weather, they can go inside and practice ECU. They have to go to the freaking student rec center and a basketball court. You can't practice in a basketball court if you're a football team. So this has been a lingering issue. This is not the, I want to make this clear. This is not the current administration's fault. This is not John Gilbert's fault. Any of those guys, this is an ECU problem. This has been neglected for 15 years now. Skip Holtz talked about it. Ruff McNeil beat the table on it. I think he had a presentation for Jeff Confer about every year about why they needed an indoor practice facility, and, of course, Jeff Comfer ignored it and wanted to build his Taj Mahal of press boxes instead. You know, and so we've gotten now... It just keeps getting pushed off, keeps getting pushed off. We've finally gotten to the point now where, you know, I've been... You know, as a media member, saying that this has been needed since I started covering the beat in 2010. This has been needed for for well before that, and now we're 10 years later, still having the same issues, still having to lose in season practices, still being law or still losing some recruiting battles because you don't have that facility that every other team recruiting against you does. All they have to say is bring a kid on campus and say, "Hey, you see this indoor practice facility that they're going head to head with ECU." they can say ECU doesn't even have one why would you want to go to a school that doesn't commit to football and give the players what they need to have success so whether that makes a, a difference or not you know is another argument but i do think at the end of the day it is a must it is a need it's been a need for about 15 years now and and from what i've heard i was saying this earlier there is a plan by the current administration to kind of start a campaign you know ideally i think ECU wants to have a winning season Hope or a bold appearance, get some real momentum behind the uh, football program, and then open a campaign to hopefully get that done in the next few years. But, you know, I'm not going to quit talking about it. I'm not going to quit tweeting about it until it's actually done because I've heard too many times over the years of certain things happening behind the scenes that never come to fruition. This needs to happen. It needed to happen five to ten years ago. It definitely needs to happen now, and we got to quit waiting to act on it. And so I commend uh, Sam for starting the GoFundMe. Even if it only raises a few thousand bucks, hell, that's better than any administration has done for the past 10 to 15 years in regards to the indoor practice facility. So kudos to uh, the people that have already given to that. I would give to it, but seeing as I report on I and to talk to recruits, that uh, would be probably illegal. So I stay away from that stuff. But uh, it is what it is in terms of it needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. All right, there's my tirade on that. I am going to now move uh, to our questions on the Hoist Colors message board. We'll transition to the questions, talk about East Carolina and Charleston Southern. And as always, I kind of let, when we get a lot of questions, I kind of let the questions dictate where the show goes. And uh, you guys ask good questions more times than not, and so we'll uh, we'll let that carry kind of a kind of us through a Charleston Southern preview along with talking about some of the things we'd like to see for ECU heading into Saturday's game. All right, our first question from ECU itna04. Any players we need to know about? How is their offense and defense in regards to Charleston Southern? So yeah, I mean, the biggest player is the quarterback, which is an obvious statement to say, but Jack Chambers gives Charleston Southern a chance in this game to make something happen. Because it's not like you're facing Gardner Webb from a few years ago that had a, a poor quarterback who could barely throw the football. Jack Chambers is a great athlete, solid passer, but more dynamic as a runner than any quarterback ECU has seen this season. So you got to have a plan for him. He's led the team in a rush in the past two seasons. This year he's second on the team, but he's got over 100 yards. Uh, he's got four touchdown passes to one interception, 60% completion percentage. J.D. Moore, uh, the running back, has 24 carries for 140 yards. He leads the team. But when they get inside the red zone, they really like to use uh, Chambers quite a bit in the running game. I like to use him all the time, but as he leads the team in 27 rushing attempts. But two touchdowns on the year, he's got the only two rushing touchdowns for the Buccaneers. Receiving wise they uh, have Garris Schwarting, a 5'10", 190 pounder out of South Carolina. He's got eight catches for 158 yards averaging 20 yards a catch and he scored four touchdowns receiving. They've got five receiving touchdowns. He has four of them so you got to be aware of him. Of course on the defensive side of the football linebacker Garrett Saya, 5'9", 210 so a little undersized in terms of height but a tackle machine. He's had a, uh, a good start to the season, 17 total tackles already and a fumble recovery through two games. So you got a program here that has some solid pieces. I mean, I always say, and Donnie Kirkpatrick touched on this yesterday, I mean, if you're FBS, FCS, whatever, I mean, if you're Division One, which both these programs are in football, it is now Division One. It's just FCS versus FBS. You're going to have quality players. You're always going to have good people good teams, good players, especially the front line skill guys. I think at the FCS level, a lot of those guys could play at the FBS level. Whether they be starters or not, I don't know. Usually the biggest difference is in the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, Charleston Southern does have a defensive lineman, Shondre Mims, the uh, older brother of ECU Commit CJ Mims, a West Craven product. So He'll he'll be fired up. They have uh, a couple of receivers also from the two five two, a couple of players from this area. So a lot of North Carolina kids that were overlooked in the recruiting process. So this is a very important game to them. Uh, make no bones about it. So they got some dangerous pieces again. Solid team. Two and two last year in the spring, six and six of the year before that. One on one now. Had a quality win over the Citadel. Third year coach, Autry Denson, just like third year under Mike Houston ECU they're expected to improve so they're a solid team and they're capable of uh of hanging in if ECU does not show up on Saturday all right Pat 72JG he asks, could Jaquez Powell get some run in this game or is he still too much in the developmental stage he is asking about uh the second year offensive lineman Jaquez Powell in case you guys don't follow recruiting or follow the roster extremely close he's a uh Second-year offensive lineman out of uh, Southwest Edgecomb. Really liked him in high school. Good athleticism for an interior offensive lineman at that level. You know, he's played some tackle, played some guard and center, really done a little bit of everything for Coach Shankweiler on the practice squad and early in his career and spring ball and everything. I think Quez, you know, if he's going to play in a game, and assuming he's healthy, I, you know, was not able to attend practice this week, I, you know, this would be a, the one game. You would like to get some of those younger linemen in. Uh, I don't know exactly where he sits on the depth chart. He's not listed on the two deep, but that doesn't mean he couldn't play Saturday in a certain situation. He's probably more third in line at one of those O-line spots right now. So, uh, you know, ideally you, you would like to get your second string offensive line in there. On Saturday, maybe even your third string in a couple spots. So, we'll see. I mean, I think he's still a year or two away in terms of development from really... Competing for a, a role on the offensive front, but um, in a game like this, if the score gets really out of hand early on, you could see three deep players in terms of multiple positions getting some playing time. It just depends on how the game develops. All right, our next question, our next set of questions comes from Berg Pirate. He says, uh, number one, how many true freshmen? Do you think we'll play on Saturday? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's run through the commitment list and the early – or the transfer list from the true freshman category, and I'll give you you know, kind of where they sit right now or guys that I think could play. I think the most obvious candidate is Pop McKay, the uh, three-star running back out of Alabama. He's yet to play in a game this year. And he. Coach Kirkpatrick said earlier this week he's had a good week of practice. He's getting closer, and while it's not a guarantee – Usually when a player is getting closer, it means that he's he's uh, he, he's going to make an impact. And so I think this is the ideal game to get Pop in there, hopefully in a low-leverage situation to kind of get his feet wet. Um, ideally, you don't have to play Keith Mitchell and Roger Harris this entire game. But as far as the rest of the true freshmen, I just feel like most of these guys are in a developmental stage. More so, you know, not saying that they're not talented, but it's more like, the roster is in such a good spot right now it's just you don't even really need to play these guys like for example Jacob Coleman's a really talented freshman in the tight end room but he's basically six in line so how do you get a, a six stringer or, or somebody who's way down deep on the depth chart how do you get that person in the game maybe in a game like this you dress them out and you say hey if we're up 35-3 in the fourth quarter we just get him a rep but ideally you want to redshirt most of these guys too Walter Simmons III, another one, the quarterback. You know, he's mainly running a scout team this week against uh, against the ECU defense, kind of acting as Jack Chambers, and so he's he's looking at a retro ear. But if you want to just get him some game experience, hell, throw a special package out there on the second or third drive and see how Charleston Southern handles his athleticism. I mean, you could do stuff like this, ideally in a game like this, um, but, I, you know, I think more than not, you're going to see most of these guys just sit out in redshirt this year. Uh, Richard Pierce, l- young offensive lineman. He's probably at a point where he could play if needed. Um, Troy Lewis has looked pretty good in practice as a receiver, so I'm not sure exactly where he sits on the wide receiver depth chart. You know, these offensive linemen like Kanan Clark, Ke- Kewan Phillips. Phillips has missed a lot of time due to injury. Clark is uh, developing as well, so they're probably not going to play. Cruz Temple, he's he's in a red shirt type of stage right now. T.J. Lockley is a guy who maybe you could experiment with in a game like this, but is likely looking at a red shirt year. And then you look at the transfers. You know, Jari Patterson, we've yet to see him appear in a game this year, but he's he's made plays in practice and he's still learning the playbook. The wide receiver transfer from Marshall, this might be the type of game where yeah you want to redshirt him but yeah you also want to get him in a a game and see what he can do maybe the light clicks on once he's under the light so maybe you see jari patterson he's been traveling with the team he's been a part of the walkthroughs all that sort of stuff so he's he's at a point where he could play uh we've seen Jamani wilson on special teams the marshall running back transfer maybe he gets a running back carrier to this game Tyree Saunders, Ray Rose, a pair of uh, wide receiver transfers from Virginia Tech and North Carolina respectively. They have yet to get in the game. They have not traveled but in a home game like this if you're down to your second string offense at some point in the second half you could get those guys in the football game. Uh, As far as other true freshmen of course you're going to continue to see Slade Roy. The long snapper he's taken over and done a really good job. As well. So, again, I don't think you're going to see a lot of true freshmen. I mean, you're just not at a point in the program where you need to burn those guys or throw them out there before they're ready, like maybe in past years. Uh, number two, is this a game where we try to get Owen Daffer some easy field goal attempts to boost his confidence? You know, uh, it just depends on how the game flows, Berg. I mean, it's. I don't think you script out, hey, we're going to. Once we get at the 20 yard line, we're going to run the ball three consecutive times so we can boost Daffer's confidence here. I mean, I just think it's – and do you really want to settle for field goals against a team you probably feel like you should be able to convert against? So I I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you you want to build his confidence, but I think you ju- that just sort of happens naturally. I don't think you can force that one way or the other. Um you know, we saw them attempt to kick late against Appalachian State when the game was out of hand to so maybe do that. So, I, And I think Owen's pretty confident for a freshman kicker. We've we've heard it from Coach Houston. He's kind of a laid-back, chill dude, so I don't think he's a a guy that really needs that much confidence. I think it's just more – he's just going to continue to grow with game experience. Uh, Berg, number three, he's setting the over-under for quarterbacks that play at 2.5. Am I taking the over or the under? <sighs> Man, I'm going to take the under. I think it'll be Ayler's, and then uh, we'll see Mason Garcia in the fourth quarter. And I'll roll with that. You know, ideally you get Stubblefield or Flynn in as well, but, I mean, you, you got to be beating a team severely to see three quarterbacks in a game like this. So, I, And they really need to give Garcia a lot of work if he's the, the number two guy, which he is. So I think you go with two. And ideally, with Garcia, he's not just in there to hand the football off. He's in there to run the offense at some point in the second half. And we'll see again what the score is and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, it could be a 24-10 to 10 game in the fourth quarter. And at that point, you can't pull your starters. So we'll uh, continue to monitor that as the game goes along. All right, Tarbo Bill, how important is it for us to friggin? Nice job there dropping a friggin in honor of Coach Houston. Uh, come out big and get our backups especially our quarterbacks some game experience in this game I mean I don't want to overlook them but realistically we should have the opportunity to have them run multiple series in this game Um, you know we kind of touched on this just a second ago but yeah I, I think it is important anytime you can get those guys playing time in a live game setting most of them for the first time in their career is critical I mean it's you you do just need to take care of business and win this game. That's the most important thing. So, you know, just because you're up three touchdowns in the second quarter doesn't mean you need to start subbing in a bunch of guys just to get them game experience. you got to make sure the game is in hand. But, yeah, ideally it is important to get those guys experience because this is the one opportunity on the schedule where you look at the game and you're most likely going to get that opportunity or have the best chance to get that opportunity. And so – um. Yeah, I think it's critical. You've got a ton of young guys on defense that are still really developing on the fly, especially in the front four. Offensively, it would be nice to get some of those young offensive linemen like Isaiah Foote, Walt Stribling in the game, uh, some of those younger receivers, some of those younger backs, and maybe some young young quarterbacks as well. So I think it's more important offensively than defensively, even though you would like to get some young defensive guys get their feet wet as well. Uh, Dover Pirate, what players are you most excited to see when we get in the garbage time? So, uh, you know, I just named a couple. Um, again, assuming this happens, running back-wise, would love to see Pop McKay. Uh, Lorenzo Dorr, the West Virginia transfer, the running back, would like to see him get an opportunity after coming and transferring in. Jamani Wilson's another one we talked about earlier, the Marshall transfer. Wide receiver, Jari Patterson, for sure. Um... If possible, Tyree Saunders, Ray Rose, one of those guys. And defensively, on the offensive line, just to finish there, offensive line-wise, Isaiah Foote, I want to see more Trent Holler. I think he's a very, very solid player, and I um, want to see him continue to develop. Uh, Walt Stribling, Hampton Urgel. Maybe Kazai Everett, the Farmville Central product, he's practiced hard, done a good job on the scout team and developing as an offensive lineman. Somebody touched on Jaquez Powell earlier, Richard Pierce, so you could see some of those guys if it gets into real garbage time. Defensively on the defensive front, would like to see JV McCray. He played two snaps last week as he works his way back from a, uh, a knee injury in the preseason. I think he's got some real upside if he can stay healthy and get some game experience. At linebacker, Taylor Jackson, Eric Doctor. Uh, Jacoby Simpson's a JUCO kid, but he got his feet wet for the first time as a defensive player at ECU last week, so it may be some more reps for those guys. Uh, at corner, Sean Tucker is a young corner I really like. Uh, Demel Hickman is a redshirt sophomore; has been in the program for a while, has developed, deserves to play more. And then at safety, you know they already rotate a lot of safeties, but e- even some young guys who we haven't seen yet. Uh, like a Julius Wood who transferred in from junior college Devin King who's played special teams at uh, after transferring in from Marshall so you got players all over the place man I mean Demetrius Mooney we've yet to see him on defense he he transitioned from running back to Sam's done a good job on special teams so I mean there's a lot there's enough depth where you could play basically two teams in this game if it works out. All right, we still got a handful of more questions. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Hoist Scholars Colors podcast as we preview the Charleston Southern ECU matchup. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, we're back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Our next question comes from Matty Matt. He says, I feel like this would be a good game to test running up tempo offense for four quarters. Maybe the coaches could test it out against a weak opponent. Thoughts? Okay, so here's the thing with up tempo. You know, I said on the last podcast recapping the Marshall game that I would like to see them go up tempo like they did in the fourth quarter. Really from the start or for the whole game. And you know, then we interviewed Donnie Patrick on Wednesday. He said really they ran the same tempo the whole game. And so I you know, I, I was a little surprised at that but then I went back and I watched the first quarter and I looked at the time between each snap and it really was about identical the difference was you know EC was lining up around 20 seconds left on the play clock 20 to 25 seconds and then they would snap it around 15 to 20 seconds if everything went you know as planned if they did a check with me situation where they line up like they're about to snap at hard count see what the defense is doing and then snap it then they look to the sidelines around the 15 20 second mark audible get into the look they want to look at and then they snap it with with the play clock running down and when they do that i just feel like it allows even though they are audible into the look they want to based on what the defense is showing i feel like it allows the defense to get a better jump off the ball really kind of set the tempo, do what they want to do, mix up coverages, mix up, you know, blitzes, all that sort of stuff. And I feel like when they do that, the offense gets out of rhythm compared to when they just go to the line, snap the football and play. And that's what they did in the fourth quarter. For the most part, they did try to milk some time on the final drive. But even when they were down 38 to 21, they were snapping the ball with 15 to 18 seconds left on the play clock in a lot of situations. Now, it felt like they were in up tempo, I feel like, because they would get a first down, get a big play, get up to the line. And by the time you do that, there's 20, 25 seconds left on the play clock. Now, if they really want to go true up tempo, like Marshall did, now Marshall was snapping the ball with 25 to 30, and sometimes even 32 seconds left on the play clock. Now, that's true, true up-tempo. ECU is is just not really a team that does that, and it doesn't appear they're going to do that. Up-tempo for ECU is getting to the line with 20-25 seconds left and snapping it without audible, and that's fine, and, and And it feels like they're in up-tempo when they're having success because they, they stay ahead of the chains, they don't look to the sideline as much, um, and it just feels like they get into a rhythm, and it, it it does seem like they're in up-tempo, but I think it's more just because they're playing so in rhythm that we kind of feel like they're in up-tempo. For example, there was a time in the first half where they tried to go up-tempo. Ailers get sacked. They still try to go up-tempo on the next, uh, on the next play. I think they run the football and get stuffed or something like that. And then you're in third and 18, you know, do you really want to rush up to the line and run a third and 18 play? No. So, a lot of the tempo, a lot of the rhythm really is dictated by how do we do on first down? Are we in second and two? Are we in first or second and 15? Are we in first and 15 after a false start? So a lot of it is kind of tied into the, the, the pace of the offense is tied into the success of the offense. And once they get into a rhythm, it's more easy for them to kind of run that tempo. But I would like to see less check with me unless it's really maybe a crucial third down call. Like, I feel like at times, ECU is better off on third and short, just rushing to the line and firing off the ball and jamming Rajay up in there. You know, they did it with one time Keaton Mitchell. I can't remember the exact time, but they didn't mess around. It was third and short. They, They got the play in. They rushed to the line. They ran Keaton Mitchell off the guard for an easy five yards on third and short, even when the defense probably knew it was coming. So... Less overthinking, more playing is how I would phrase it now after rewatching the game. After the game, I said I want to see them run more tempo. I feel like they run the same tempo for the most part. Coach said that when they tried to go really fast, they actually end up screwing up a couple times, so maybe there's still more up-tempo, true up-tempo in there, but to me it's more about just playing free, playing fast, don't check so much, just get up to the line, go with the original call, play. And in a game like this where you're playing a weaker team, you should be able to just get up to the line and play. You should not have to outthink Charleston Southern. And ECU offensively has to get to the point where they believe in what they're doing so much that it doesn't matter what the defense is playing. It doesn't matter who the defense has. And you always have to take into account matchups and all that sort of stuff, I get that. But if you're ECU, you just play your game. That's what great offenses do in App State, but doesn't give a damn about what defense you're running. They're gonna run the stretch. And they're going to run play action, and they're going to have success. Well, the ECU has got to get to the point where they have that mindset. We're going to do what we do. We'll take advantage of certain looks, but our base offense is going to line up. We're going to have success doing what we do and quit overthinking it so much. I think that's part of the problem right now with the inconsistency we're seeing with the ECU offense. So I don't know if I answered your question, Matt, but that's kind of my my take on it. And I always call you Matty Matt. I know it's Matty Matt. I always mess that up, so sorry about that. All right, our next comment comes from St. Pete Pirate. He says, no questions that haven't been posted already. Uh, some good ones from Bird Pirate. I wanted to share, though, that I always look forward to these podcasts. They've helped me get through some especially rough weeks I've had lately. Whenever one of these podcasts comes out, I know it's close to the end of the week and Pirate football is near. It's one thing I can put my on my headphones during the day that makes work a little bit easier. Well, St. Pete, uh, love uh, love that comment, man, even though there's no question there. Always appreciate comments like that. Hope things are going well with you um, for whatever tough times you're going through. You know, the best thing about Hoist the Colors is I do feel like we are a family. I mean, yeah, a lot of our posters are behind usernames or whatnot, but, you know, when we host these podcasts and take questions from you guys, it does kind of feel like a community, a family. Uh, I do think we're all here for each other. you ever need anything, feel free to reach out, and um, I'm sure whether it's through me or through our other posters, we'll be more than happy to support you in any way possible. I mean, I know for, for me, I listen to a Denver Broncos podcast that is very similar, where they kind of let questions dictate the podcast, the show, and it is kind of that community feel, and I feel like. You know, it, it, it's that way as a listener for me, when I listen to the Broncos podcast that I, I, I tune into, I feel like uh, I try to make this the same way. So I uh, hope everything you're going through is, um, you get through it okay. And, you know, just know that we're, we are always here for you, whether it's Pirate Athletics personally, we'll always do what we can to support you guys. And, and thank you guys for, uh, for your support and always tuning in and counting on us. All Pirate right, ButnerPirate25, he has a few questions. He says, agree or disagree on calling a game someone's Super Bowl? Uh, in principle, I disagree. You know, I'm just not, for the most part, a huge fan of that. I mean, but it, the reality of it is it, it is a Super Bowl, whether it is the Super Bowl. I don't know because they also play Georgia at the end of the year. But I think most realize Charleston Southern doesn't have a chance in hell at Georgia they probably feel like they have a chance at ECU. So I think that they'll give everything they have in this game. A lot of these players were North Carolina kids. They were not recruited by ECU, maybe wanted to be, so they'll be fired up. You know, when, when Coach Houston said it's their Super Bowl, part of me was kind of surprised, but then at the same time, he's been in those shoes. So I feel like if anybody has the right to say it, It's a former FCS coach who took his team on the road and beat multiple FBS teams. So I feel like he would know what he's talking about. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it because I feel like when teams say it about ECU, about NC State, North Carolina, it uh, is not necessarily true. But I I do feel like for Charleston Southern, this is a big game for them. Whether it's for Super Bowl or not, I don't know. I don't know enough about Charleston Southern's program to – 100% say it one way or the other, but for Coach Houston as a former FCS coach, I feel like he's got a much better feel than the rest of us. Uh, Another question from Butner Pirate. He says, what's the minimum amount of points scored to feel good about the offense? Uh, 38. I think 38, high 30s. If, If you score there, you at least feel pretty good about the day you had. I mean, ideally you score in the 40s, but I would say 35 to 38. You're content with that against an FCS team that just gave up, what, 40, 41 to Monmouth? Yeah, I gave up 41 points to Monmouth. And um, Monmouth, I really don't know much about the program other than the fact that they're pretty good at baseball. And it appears they're pretty good at football because they're ranked in the FCS. So um, I think if you get into the high 30s, you feel good. If you get into the 40s, you feel really good. If you get into the 50s, you feel great no matter who you're playing. It's been a while since the Pirates cracked 60, so I'm not even going to go there. Um, All right, our next question from Butner Pirate. Do you want to see fewer yards given up or fewer points on defense? For example, if we give up 400 yards but hold them to 14 points via turnovers, is that okay or would it rather be 21 points but they had 250 total yards? A good question. I mean, I think it's more for me about how it looks. Like, if Charleston Southern is running the football with ease against ECU's defense, I'm more concerned. Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like this is a matchup ECU should be able to take away the run, and maybe Charleston Southern just hits a few plays due to Jack Chambers' scrambling ability. When plays break down and just he makes plays on his own, or they have a few lucky breaks and get some yardage that way. Like, it, it just, it's hard to answer that question because I feel like it is dependent upon how it looks. Ideally, you hold them to fewer yards and fewer points, but I guess you always would take the fewer points. But if you're giving up 14 points, but they're able to run the ball the whole game and milk the clock, then obviously you don't want that to happen because then that's not a good sign for when you play much bigger offensive linemen and, linemen and much bigger running backs. So a lot of it depends on how it, how it plays out. But I guess more times than not, you definitely take less points because it looks better on the scoreboard. And really, how many yards you get up doesn't technically matter. It's more about, at the end of the day, what's on the scoreboard. I mean, that is what dictates the final result of the game. So, you, to me, you always go with the, the fewer points, but you also want to see fewer yards because, in reality, the more yards you give up on a consistent basis, the more points you're going to give up in the end. So... Good question there. I don't really know how to answer it, so I guess I'll go fewer points just based off that's what is the final score. All right, SC Johnson 0408. He's got a couple questions, or he's got one question. How disappointed would you be if Holton Ehlers plays the entire game? I do not mean this as being negative towards Holton in any way. Um, I would be very disappointed because, A, I want to see Mason Garcia get more game action. We continue to hear. Our quarterbacks are inexperienced behind old nailers. Well how do, you, how do you fix that? You get to a point as a program where you take care of business and games like these and you can get the backups reps. So, yeah, I would like to see that happen on Saturday. Is it a guarantee? Absolutely not. But I certainly would like to see it. And so I would be disappointed if Holton plays the whole game because that means you never put Charleston Southern away. And that means you never operated at peak efficiency against a – quote-unquote lesser opponents so hopefully it's 35-7 going into the fourth quarter or 42 to 10 or something and we can see another quarterback at some point it just depends on how the game is unfolding but I would be disappointed if we don't see another quarterback all right Coastal Juan he asked uh, a couple of questions here or he's got one question and then he's got a lot of comments which is always good He said, what's a realistic expectation for this game? Meaning, what kind of stat line slash score would make you feel great, okay, or worried? Uh, He says, I watched their their game against Monmouth from last week. My takeaways were, first of all, kudos to watching their game versus Monmouth. I will say, I've researched Charleston Southern. I've rewatched the ECU Marshall game. I have not watched Charleston Southern. So, you know more about Charleston Southern than I do. So, uh, I commend you for that. Uh, pros their quarterback according to Coastal Juan is mobile and faster bread and butter is the read option more successful on the ground their defense is decent against the run for that level and they're pretty good tacklers cons they seem pretty bad in the passing game first play of that game was a pick that didn't count because refs had it touched the ground chambers ended up throwing another one that did count they look small even by FCS standards even with poor technique mom line was shoving them around pretty easily out there their secondary wasn't great against the pass and that's the end of his cons he says now I know they're playing a top 20 Monmouth team but I really wouldn't expect them to be competitive unless we're a sending a lot of depth out there to get reps or b we play a terrible game to me if the ones give up 10 points I'm terrified about Tulane would love to hear your expectations okay so you know the 10 points thing again we kind of touched on this earlier how are the 10 points given up you know is do you give up 10 points on the first two drives do they score a touchdown on a fluke play or are they marching down the field consistently getting first downs on two consecutive drives to get 10 points against your first string defense then I'm concerned a lot of times in games like these an FCS team will have one good drive early and then the defense will adjust and then it's you know they pretty much shut them down the rest of the way so for me if ECU is giving up multiple sustained drives with their number one defense then I'm worried uh you know, as far as what, you know, if, if it's 35 to 3 in the fourth quarter and the second string gives up an easy touchdown, I'm not worried. Or if they give up a couple touchdowns, I'm not worried. It's more about how does the first string defense, the guys who usually play, look against a lesser team. So, what is a realistic expectation for this game? For me, um, I think a realistic expectation is a 21 to 28 point victory that's pretty comfortable throughout you don't want to show anything crazy against a team like this especially heading in the conference place so maybe you save some some of your more exotic stuff just handle business get some guys some experience rest the guys who are banged up and get a win to get to two and two so for me you know 38 10 would be a perfectly fine score uh you know 35 13 is fine too anything comfortable in that range you know if you're in a if you're in a 21 to 10 game or a, you know a 28 24 type of game at any point in the second half or it's a one score game at any point in the second half then I'm very concerned but if you're comfortably ahead by multiple scores the whole game and clearly not you know going balls to the wall against an FCS team throwing everything in your playbook out there then I'm you know I just think it's a a game where you got to handle business the score is going to be what the score is at the end of the day If you play your game, I wouldn't overreact one way or another. As long as it looks good, as long as ECU looks like the superior team, I don't think you can be dissatisfied with a win. Now, if ECU has to come from behind again, or just plays an overall bad, sloppy game, they're dropping the ball, they're turning the ball over, they're missing tackles, then that's not a good look. So a lot of it is the eye test for me, more so than what the final score is, or anything like that or how many points they give up. It's more about how it looks. Does ECU look like the superior team? Is it like they're just going through the motions at a certain point, which allows Charleston Southern to make a play or two? Those things have to be factored in more so than how many points that ECU give up. All right, our last question. I'll refresh right quick to make sure we don't have any late submissions. Yeah, our last question from Pirates RS. Uh, he's got a question about the safeties seems as though the safeties have been rotating in and out nearly every series obviously the strategy is to keep them fresh but do you think it would benefit the defense as a whole to play four or so players rather than all six which would you play or which players grade out better so he says the six are Jira Wilson, Tegan Wilk, Sean Dorso, Juan Powell, Warren Saban, DJ Ford so first off um, really you have three safety positions so you're, you're technically only playing two guys at each spot which is fine because Sam linebacker is a basically a you know a hybrid safety spot, and that's where Jaira and Teagan Wilk are playing. So they're playing more in the slot, closer to the line of scrimmage. That's the Sam spot, essentially a third safety spot. Those guys are typically better against the run. That's why they're in the box. Um and those guys can typically go back and play boundary safety because boundary safety is a similar position in terms of there's less ground to cover. They're typically closer to the line of scrimmage. So every now and then you will see Teagan Wilk play boundary, but he has primarily played the Sam along with Jaira. So you have two guys there. At boundary right now, you got DJ Ford starting. You've also got Sean Dorso playing a decent amount at boundary. He was your starting boundary last year. And then at field safety, you've got Warren Sabah. And also Jawan Powell. So those are your six guys right now, getting reps at safety. And I don't have a big problem with the rotation to be quantized. I think it's I think it's fine. I think you do need to more, see more consistent play at times from that group. But I think it's more about those guys continuing to grow in the defense, specifically the younger guys. If you look at who's grading out the best right now at safety, you know DJ Ford and Warren Saber are grading out ahead of Dorso and uh, Powell according to pro football focus now we've continued to see flashes from Dorso and Powell but consistency has been the biggest problem thus far and even DJ and, and Warren I don't think have played to their fullest potential yet but to me the biggest you know you look at the final drive ECU's defense the other day who was on the field when Marshall was in the red zone it was DJ Ford and Warren Sabah those are the two safeties are the veteran guys that the coaching staff trust right now the most, that's why they were in there when the game was on the line. And DJ probably should have had that pick. He made a great read on the ball right before uh, Jaquan ended up having to pick a few plays later. Uh, but those are your two guys that the coaching staff trust most. As far as Dorso and Powell, they're more the future. Even though Dorso, hell, he's already got a full starting season under his belt. He's still a redshirt sophomore in terms of eligibility. Jaquan Powell's still a redshirt freshman. And so you got those guys for three to four more years, and then you lose forward and save it after this year. So on one hand, you're trying to win the game, of course, but you're also trying to keep the other guys happy, and you're trying to develop Powell and Dorso. So the only way to develop them at this point in their career, they've had enough practice time, the real way to develop them is continue to get them game action. Not to the point maybe where they're playing the entire football game, but get them enough game action so each week they can go on the film room, see what they did wrong, learn from it and and eventually they'll be at a point where they can start and play more consistently from start to finish uh, as far as sam i think tegan wilk and gyra are playing at an extremely high level right now both of them are um the one thing i'll say is with gerard stringer on his way back if he's able to get back healthy and and ready to go i think you might see him and gyra more at the sam and they could play tegan more at the boundary along with dj ford and so you could see uh T can get some more safety reps more so than the Sam reps. So, um, you know, as far as the rotation though, um, to answer your question, I'm fine with it as long as they pick their spots. And I just think today's college football, you got to have depth at every position and you could even play more guys there. But I think playing two at each spot for the most part is fine and adequate for what ECU is doing defensively. And, um, you know they they do do a lot of coverages they do a lot of blitzing so there is a lot on the safety's plates and I still feel like that, that group as a whole is continuing to progress still the second year in the system we've seen some errors but at the same time there's also been a lot of plays where they've made some good plays and they haven't finished picks both Saba and uh, DJ Ford had an interception go through their hands last game so could have had five turnovers just on those two plays alone if you make them still had three which is a very good day And uh, if you force three-plus turnovers every week, no matter how many yards you give up, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So uh, I think the safety position is growing. I think they're handling it fine, quite honestly. Would you want to see more consistent play from the safeties? Yeah. I would like to see more consistent play from the linebackers. Uh, The corners have struggled at times. I would like to see more consistent play from the entire defense. So hopefully as the year goes on, they'll continue to progress. And I think this weekend will be an opportunity to to really kind of correct a lot of those issues and fix some of the numbers help their stats a little bit and then you go into a a big two lane game which throws a lot at you uh, offensively in terms of uh, defensive prep so that'll be a big test here in a couple weeks so i hope i answered your question pirates are us all right that'll do it for the hoist the colors podcast and lots of good questions once again from you guys so i appreciate the uh the time to uh to come on the site and ask those questions also i appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week as we preview charleston southern and ecu this time around and as always we'll have a post game chat with it being a saturday night game probably we'll have the post game chat up sometime sunday uh typically with a night game you know the game will end until 9 nine thirty 30 at the earliest we won't be done with press until 10 10 30 i probably won't be done work until one or two as far as writing so we'll have the podcast up probably sunday morning or sunday evening and um we'll uh, break down what we saw what we like what we didn't like all that sort of stuff if it was a sufficient victory for everybody uh tuning in i'll give my prediction before we go i'm gonna go ecu 41 charleston southern 14 so 41 14 is my pick uh, heading into Saturday's game. So a 27-point victory for the Pirates. Don't know if that will cover the spread. Don't know if we'll get a spread, but uh, we'll find out how it looks on Saturday evening at 6 o'clock. Again, ESPN Plus is the TV if you can't make it to Doughty Ficklin Stadium. All right, appreciate you guys tuning in. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We will talk with you next time.